Let's ask to God to bless it. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful that we sit before it. We'd ask that we would continually process our lives to be in accord with your revelation of yourself. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was uh, talking with Rachel and, and Kenny the other night. What was it, a couple nights ago? You guys were over? And Kenny brought up a, a passage out of Jeremiah. It was sort of sticking with me in my brain. And um, I said, maybe I should look at it. Maybe I should look at it. And didn't. And then sat down and, and, and ended up, I don't know how I got to Psalm 20, but then I realized that the passage that Kenny had brought up was a good comparison to Psalm 20. So we're going to look at that. The, the Jeremiah 9, 12 through 24, and all of Psalm 20, short psalm. Mostly for you to look at the, the various ways we stand before the Lord, and sometimes we, um, we need to measure it correctly, we need to measure ourselves correctly, um, or our, people go through calamities, difficulties, John was in a car accident, and, and um, a loved one dies, we wonder how am I supposed to feel, I get counseling conversations of what should I be allowed, what, what should I feel, how should I feel joy as a Christian and sorrow as a friend, and sometimes people are just in a messed up life. Their life is one long calamity after another. So Jeremiah 9, 12 says, Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? Can you understand what's going on? A bad situation, calamity, wreck of the land. Now, Jeremiah, for those of you who are not students of Old Testament history, Jeremiah is in the early 500s BC. Uh, Daniel and Ezekiel have both been carried off to captivity in Babylon, and Jeremiah is the one prophet left behind with all the rapscallions of Judah the people you don't want to take. And he has this ministry, he's called the Weeping Prophet, he has this ministry that really feels it. He's got some great, great passages of his relationship with the Lord, but um, his other book, Lamentations, is aptly named. It's been a rough go for this guy. He's looking at how bad, and it's an, an, an unimaginable bad for a Jew, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed Solomon's temple. There was no temple no more. And he says, who is the man that's wise enough to understand this? How, what do we do with this? We're the people of God and everything that is central to our religion has been blown up. It'd be like, well, what would a Muslim think if Mecca was nuked to glass? And it wasn't any place you could pray towards anymore. What would the Roman Catholics think if the Vatican were turned to rubble?
We don't know how to think sometimes, and we don't know how to process, and we've got these things that sit in our background thought about rejoicing in the Lord always, right? So everybody's supposed to cheer up. And sometimes you realize, you know, Job, the book of Job, where they speak of the patience of Job, and everybody's, God had bragged about Job, and then the devil went after Job and messed up Job's life. And Job's friends thought Job had done something wrong and accused him of it. How could your life be this calamitous? So sometimes I want to set you aside to say, yes, we could talk about rejoicing in the Lord another time. Yes, you as a believer ought to. There's an aspect of the phrase, in the Lord. And there are people who have been falsely accused of being a burden to the Lord when they weren't. We are to rejoice in the Lord, but in the Lord. And you're not Job. <laughs> That's simple as that. Because sometimes calamity lands on you, and Jeremiah is in this situation. And it's just, it, how do I explain this? And his conclusion, the Lord says, verse 13, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts, and have gone after the Baals as their fathers taught them. This is why, for heaven's sake, it's not rocket science. You're awful people. You know, it's... I don't know if you get a sense of uh, prophetic delight in watching Hollywood go down in flames their sins. I mean, these are sins that they bragged about in their personal lives, sins that they bragged about in their movies, and now they're caught in them. This kind of this, this full knot was turned around and they actually got applied to them and their lives are being destroyed. It's, it's, it's what has to come to a situation like that. For people who forsake his law, don't obey his voice, or walk in accord with it. I don't want to overstress that phrase. It says, obeying the law. But there's also, are you the kind of person that says, when you're talking to someone about something you want to do, well, is there a Bible verse against it? Well, that's probably not the right idea. Okay, Looking for Bible verses against what you want to do is shows some problem here. You don't, there's the things that, the Bible verse is against. And then there is the way that is in accord with the mind of God. So those people who love the Lord don't sit there going, okay, it didn't say I couldn't do this. What's in accord with the mind of God? The kind of people that have this calamity land on them have forsaken the law, did not obey, and did not walk in accord, and stubbornly followed their own hearts. Because you know every temptation you encounter. And we all do. We all encounter these temptations. It says we are tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. We follow our own hearts. Even to worshiping the Baals. And sometimes when they end up worshipping the Baals, or they end up in such awful circumstances, and everybody's scrambling to look at what causes Baal worship, or demons involved, he said, no, no, 
people's own hearts. Because people wanted to do that. Look at the greatest wickedness, a serial killer or, or whatever. People want what that act will provide them. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with wormwood and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women to come. Send for the skillful women to come. Now, we don't have this role in our society, but Middle Eastern societies have professionals that take care of the mourning. They're so good at it. Because really, people don't know how to feel as they ought. We do it, let's say, with an altar call. We know what kind of hymn to pick, where the organ is just hitting those chords, and you're feeling guilty. I remember hanging on for dear life to the metal railing of the, um, of the balcony at College Avenue Baptist in Annapolis, Maryland. Say, I'm not going forward. I don't care what, how many times they sing this song. But that song is there to get you to a certain place. And everybody knows Just As I Am from Billy Graham. Um, I don't know what other hymns were sung. Do you remember? Not Yeah. Well, whatever the case. They, they were grabbing at my heartstrings. Well, in the ancient world, the Middle Eastern world, they had mourners who would get you into a state of mind of sorrow. And those women who are tearing their garments and making that shrilly noise. Can you make it? I could. You go more. <laughs> My sister, the missionary, has lost her, her care for the lost. They make that shrilling noise, you know, that's... And they beat their breasts, and they just, just, they're just worked up. And he says, the Lord of Hosts says to Jeremiah, get, get, get the pros. Bring the professionals in. Let them make haste and raise a wailing over us, that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush with water. For the sound of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Dang straight. This is not a situation where the Christians gather around in your brokenness to, to cheer you up. Because sometimes you're not Job. Sometimes you haven't gotten to the repentance you need to get to. And it's good for the believers to step back and say, yeah, why don't you cry this one out? Because that is the right emotional frame for disobeying the Lord and going by your own way, by your own heart, deciding you're just going to collect from the, the, the benefits that Jesus produces in the body of believers and then go your own way. Not pursuing him. And when it happens, and when it happens, it's the right response. Just You don't want people to be there. You want them to fix it, but you don't 
want them to fix it as if, no, we're supposed to be rejoicing no matter what. No, the matter is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're not supposed, I know a couple people who have been in this town long enough that there's people who walk around town, business people, who've got a smile on their face all the time. They're not Christian, but they learned at some point in their life to smile. That was the engaging thing. And they're always smiling. Even when they're, even when they're not doing well, they're smiling. We're not looking for that. We're not trying to say this is the kind of look Christianity has, or we're always upbeat. If you're not right with God, being upbeat is inappropriate. You are supposed to be, when it talks about godly grief leads to repentance, which brings no regret, man's grief leads to death. So a lot of times there are ministries that are trying to stop you from man's grief. They, they, they want you to not be in a spiral of emotion. But God wants you to be in a spiral of emotion in certain circumstances. When you have walked away from the Lord and you're getting smacked pretty hard, bring in the professionals, admit to yourself that yes, that does make you a bad person. Because bad people who know they have sinned, who are realizing it in their mourning, realizing it costs them the world. I was talking to a young man the other day who who's actually thankful. He's lost just about everything because of his sin. And he's thankful because it brought him to Christ. He's probably the only thing that would have. Losing everything. That's where we're going. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament, and each to her neighbor a dirge. For death has come up into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak, thus says the Lord, over the dead bodies of men. The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. Now that's a pretty dark section. So why would you quote a passage like that? Sunday morning for snowfall bunch of Anglo-Saxons who haven't been pillaging anybody in centuries. We just are not into this. But this is our God's dealing with disobedient people. And the next thing, this is the verse that Kenny and, and Rachel shared uh, a couple nights ago. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. That is so out of context, it seems. But it's the lesson we have to learn regarding what has just gone on. People who are in a certain situation where they're being hauled off in chains, weeping, crying out, dead bodies on the ground all around them, nobody to bury them. Why this advice? 
for the wise man, the mighty man, and the rich man. All of those things, your wisdom, your might, your riches, are all, they're not wrong, they're just all part of your horizontal circumstance. They are the points of leverage you have in dealing with this world. Once I move from dealing with this world to glorying in my dealing with this world, I start to, you might say, measure the desires of my own heart, my gains, my advancement, because say you were not just wise, mighty, and rich, but you were good-looking too. My goodness, I've got some leverage here. I've got some things I... And I don't just, don't just use it, but I glory in it. What we have to learn as Christians, and what they had to learn as Jews back in the day, is that our glory is... There needs to be this loudest voice in your personal life that says, I know Yahweh, the living God. I understand. I know him, or as St. Paul says, or rather am known by him. And I've known a God who is loving, just, and righteous. Not only loving, just, and righteous, but enjoys being loving, just, and righteous. He delights in it. He delights in it in himself. He delights in it in you. That's, if I don't find that, I'm going to fall back to secondary, what I think are virtues. Virtues like justice and, and uh, uh, well, the things listed here, might and, and um, riches and wisdom. And a person can live quite an advanced life, but he starts to become full of his own glory. He starts to become he who rewards his own uh, desires, what he wants to have happen. And it ends up being, that, and if you're still religious in this situation, say you were wise and you were mighty and you were rich, and that was being used valuably to advance you. And you were a religious person as well. The temptation when you start to glory in your own advancement is you start to design God to look just like you. So that you can seem to be glorying in God, but he just looks like your wisdom, your might, and your uh, financial well-being. So when you find God, you need to find the God who is loving, just, and righteous. And who delights in being loving, just, and righteous. Not who is... And, and, stop, and stop and think how, how susceptible you might be to this. Not who is wise, mighty, and very, very wealthy God. Sort of the Donald Trump of heaven. People design their own gods all the time. We're under this temptation, and even when it is designed, good things. I mean, wisdom, might, and riches are all good things. It says, let the wise man not glory in his wisdom. It doesn't say, let his, the wise man be stupid. It doesn't say, let the mighty man be weak. It says, let the mighty man not glory in his might. Let the rich man not glory in his wealth. 
Because we're susceptible to one, be caught up in our own desires, where then we're not walking in accord with what God has said. We're not trying to design a life that looks like Him. We're not trying to understand Him. Because, I don't know, I have a few times in my life found out that God does not think like Evan Wilson. It's amazing. I don't like my sister coming to church. She has those black tendencies of affirming or not affirming. Uh, We'll be fine, we'll be fine. You find out that as much as you'd like him to be just like you, he isn't. That you have got to under... And and you're, you're supposed to go from being really satisfied, delighting in what you're all about, how wise, rich, and mighty you are, to finding out who God is, regardless of what you're like, but finding out who God is and delighting in that and glorying in that. I have this quote. I just wanted to put it in here. This quote, quote by Conan the Barbarian. Because of the weeping. Because I was thinking of, I was either going to quote Cartman from South Park about uh, tasting the tears of his vanquished enemies. Um, Because sometimes your tears are exactly, exactly the speech that is supposed to be given. It is the thing that, that the righteous God delights in seeing you encounter. He says, to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. That was the, the greatest happiness for a man, for Conan. He stole the quote from Genghis Khan, who I think added something about horses in there. Horses being big for the Mongols. But the idea that it means the right thing. Sometimes we're so, av- we're so avoiding disappointment or... or um, these calamities, we don't, we want to get happy fast. We, people in the world, they'll, they'll get, grab a beer, they'll take drugs, whatever it is. They'll, they'll reward themselves somehow. And uh, we as Christians sometimes want to go to a worship service that will get you all jacked up about Jesus again. Even though Jesus is trying to communicate to you that you are living by your own heart, not in accord with his ways. You should be hiring professional mourners to get you crying adequately. Because sometimes you know, this, oh, this young man I had talked to, he said until he went out into the woods, he was out uh, on Moscow Mountain someplace, and, and just screaming in his anguish about how wrong he had been. We don't recognize what it sometimes takes for you emotionally to drop to your knees and say, I am not God. Somehow you're going to, you got, you, you're going to have an emotional assent to that concept that you glory in who God is, not glory in who you are. Not answering what you want to have happen in your life, but you can say, I want what God wants to have happen, happen in my life. Until then, be friendship with the world is enmity with God, it says. That means God wants to hear the lamentation of your women. 
People are going through these train wrecks of lives. And we try to run around with maybe some social help situations and pick up all the pieces and help them get their life put back together. And one of the, one of the, it's nice to do that. It's kind to do that. It's because you're kind. It's not because it's deserved. But at some point you can say, yeah, you should be crying. Look at the way you're living. You should be miserable. Look at the way you're living. Yes, that does make you a bad person. But I'm not a bad person. No, you are a bad person. Badness. Badness is an objective reality. We were all bad. What does it say? We were all by nature, children of wrath. God didn't like any of us. And was willing to destroy us all. Happy. You know, just, okay, fine. You want it that way? But what's that great passage in? Uh, it's not in the sermon notes. I just thought of it. Uh, Corinthians 6, I think. Hmm. Do you not know, this is Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, and somebody pointed out to me the other day how no one with a greed problem ever comes in for counseling nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's, that's, what the, that's the world right there. You didn't get caught, well, I am not an adulterer or an idolater. I am greedy. You know, that's, we're, we're in there. We did it. And such were some of you, it says in verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of of our God. That's what we're all about. So when we see the world collapsing into ruin, we don't always want to run into a fix-it mode that says, let's stop this tragedy from happening. Sometimes the tragedy is exactly what the circumstances measured out to be, and they're trying to help us learn to glory in God, not in ourselves. Now, I was thinking about Psalm 20 when that Jeremiah 9 thing came on to me. Because it was so different. Jeremiah is going, arrange your garments, everybody. Everybody, we're sad, we're, this is awful, we're crying, we're weeping. And the, the, the mentality of the prayer in Psalm 20 is this, I'm really confident about how I stand. It's from the choir master to the choir master, a psalm of David. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now look at these things that we have in red right here. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your victory and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. This is a different world. It's a time of trouble. You're wanting to pray. You're wanting to go to the Lord. And How do I do this? Sometimes I must weep because I have sinned. Sometimes I must weep because I gloried in myself and my own desires. 
Other times I can go with confidence before the throne of grace and say, Lord, Lord, aid me. Grant my petitions because I'm on your side. In other words, the idea of um, you're on good diplomatic terms that God in his sanctuary will hear and grant you his presence and his effort. He will remember how much you've done. You know how it talks about women who are enrolled as widows in the church and how you remember what they did their whole life? They washed the feet of the saints, etc., etc. Who was it? Tabitha? That um, she died and Peter ends up raising her from the dead because they, they brought out all this sewing stuff, which shows that throughout history, women will talk about fabric and babies. So they were talking about fabric, and they showed all the things that Tabitha had done. What kind, when, and it's for the Christian, it's not how many goats you took up to the temple, that kind of sacrifice, that may have been in consideration. We know that in Romans 12, it tells you your bodies are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. God knows your sacrifice. He knows where you've stood with yourself and your urges regarding his kingdom. Remember, to have help from his sanctuary, you have to be in good diplomatic relations with his sanctuary. Being part of his kingdom, make your offerings acceptable. And then he will grant you your desire. It promises that through the New Testament any number of places. Grant you your desire. I think I've told this before, but John Cleese had this one line about how to make God laugh. It was, tell him your plans. When we're shaped, when we're shaped by being in accord with God and his will, your petitions, when it talks about that in 1 John, your prayers being answered if you pray according to his will. Have you ever thought about being, not like, is it your will that I have a car? Not that kind of will. But I pray in accord with the way he is. Because remember, the, the, the glorious thing for you is that you understand and know him. That's the thing you glory in. That's the thing that should just come up in your face all the time, is I want to know what he is like, that I may think like him. If I know what he is like and I think like him, I can be in accord with his will. It doesn't mean, well, that great passage where Christ is praying in the garden, he wants this cup to pass for him. He has a different opinion than God, the Father, about what's going to happen in the next few hours. He does not want it to happen. He says, can I not do this? But not my will, but thine be done. Do you understand where he is going? Christ understood where the Father was expecting him to go and understood that it was better. Do you understand and know your God so that you understand and know what is actually better? And sometimes you're going to know, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to serve what you want. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Wouldn't that be great? That your plans were in such tune with God's way of viewing his universe, that he's happy 
to answer them positively. May we shout for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Different way of walking into a day of trouble. Day of trouble for the Jeremiah situation is, call the professionals, you're going to need to cry some. Day of trouble for David is, we got this. We, the saints, have this. Our God. We have stood with him. And that's the key thing. They had not stood with him. (coughs) And David had. I know that the Lord will help his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Now listen to verse 7. Some boast of chariots and some of horses, but we boast of the name of the Lord our God. Same thing. Don't glory in that. It's got, it's got its own glories. You have a lot of horses, great. You have a big army, wonderful. But that's not where our thought goes. When David's thought went to counting his soldiers, I read this in Chronicles, Samuel, even Joab, who is a complete Machiavellian, talented soldier, he looks at David and says, why are you doing this? Why are you counting your soldiers? This is really unbecoming. Because it's too close that when I'm glorying in something, I've got might, I want to number it, I want to know how much. How many chariots? How many horses? It says in Deuteronomy, when you're concerned about the future king of Israel, God warns the people, he says they're going to, he shouldn't multiply his wives, his money, or his chariots. Each one of those has, it's not that more than two pieces of gold is a problem or more than two chariots is a problem. It's more, it's more like when you've got a lot of chariots, you sometimes want to walk down to the stable and ask your chief groom, how many? Because it kind of makes you feel good. It's that Scrooge McDuck moment when you're diving into the gold pool and swimming around. Liking to know what your bank balance is when it's unnecessary, you're just wealthy. Don't boast of your chariots or of your horses, but that you know the name of the Lord your God. We know. This is tragic because, we're, Rachel, we were talking about the name of God. There's a situation. It actually says, the name of Yahweh our God. It does, it, when it says the name of the Lord our God, it's sort of like, where's the name? What actually has the name in that? The name of Yahweh our God. Yahweh is your God. Jesus Christ is his son. And is Yahweh himself. Now, who do you know? How well do you know him? Because that's where your boast is. That's where your glory is. Because the, the, the distinction between... The distinction between... Um, uh, the confident prayer that stands in the day of trouble... And the one that should be calling the professionals to help you cry about it is, is that point. Did you decide to live according to your own way? Did you decide to know your God? Do you value who he is more than you value who you are? They will collapse and fall. But we shall rise and stand upright. Give victory to the King, O Lord. Answer us when we call. Let's thank God.
Dear Lord God, we are grateful. Keep us in your will. Keep us seeking a life that's in accord with your creation, your spirit, so that we would glory in the right things. We would boast in the right things. That we'd be confident at the right time and we would weep when we should weep. Help us to see this in the world around us and to counsel those who don't know you to fall on their knees and repent. Thank you for the opportunities. In your son's name, amen.